da 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 You sound insane. You realize that? Yeah. The whole world got crazy. Seriously? It's showtime. Hello and good evening. Once again, from your friendly neighborhood, Mad About Movies podcast. Once again, returning for a throwback episode this week, Kent Garrison and Brian Gill. Hey, Brian. Hey, what's up, buddy? Hey, man, not a lot. We're we're extra friendly neighborhood tonight because there's no witch. We all know. That's always the uh, the goal, right? It's just to eliminate Richard as many times as we can. No, I'm right. just kidding. Yeah. Uh, Richard can't be here. Uh, things are calling. Stuff is happening. And uh, we wish him yeah. the best again. But this only Turns means we're... It's a lot of work starting a, a new business. It's weird. How did, who knew? This means we're that much closer to Son of the Mask review from Richard. <laughs> I mean, hopefully he's spending his time tonight just researching <laughs> Son of the Mask and spending all his That's, thoughts and time yeah. on Son of the Mask. That's actually why he can't be here tonight. He was texting me earlier. He he watched it today. And you know when you have a concussion and they like put you in a dark room, that's what he's going through right now. Like he's just going through some of the mask withdrawals and uh, I, I like not, to think it's not pretty. It's not pretty. <laughs> I like to think that he saw some of the mask and he just can't he can't live the same. Like he can't even be on a podcast anymore because he's yeah. that affected by it emotionally, physically. <laughs> <laughs> I have to rethink everything now. Exactly. Exactly. Well, hey, by Brian, the way, it's Jamie Kennedy's birthday, so it's timely. timely. It's very it's timely. Happy birthday, Jamie. <laughs> we actually we stop down the show every year to wish him happy birthday. So <laughs> when we're not when we're not doing episodes yeah. on our Kennedy cast, we, which we We always invite him on the show, but he can't get off his shift at Whataburger. So it's, it's you know, it's tough, man. It's tough. The Kennedy cast, we spend most of our time just talking JFK and Jamie Kennedy. Just Kennedy family and Jamie Kennedy, and it's a great time weekly. So look for that. Mad about Kennedy coming very soon. Um, okay. Well, Brian and I are here tonight to kind of uh, reflect, look back, and discuss the Spider-Man trilogy, the original Spider-Man trilogy. And I'm sure some of the new Spider-Man movies will leak into this. Amazing Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man 2, and the Spider-Man of our past will do that as well. We talked the Amazing Spider-Man 2. In a full episode, I believe. So if you're a huge fan mm-hmm. of that, or if you're really curious about our thoughts on Amazing Spider-Man 2, I believe we have a full-length episode dedicated to that movie already. So we'll not spend a lot of time on those this evening. But what I do want to do is kind of reflect and look back at, at, the, at the first three. Uh, yeah. I grew up on these movies, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, and uh, it's going to be good to talk about them. But, I mean, these are very influential movies to me. Uh, in my upbringing, in my past, in my movie kind of zeitgeist, these were some of the first big superhero movies that we saw, and uh, mm-hmm. other than Batman and Superman. So it really kind of opened the door for uh, Marvel to do what they're doing now with the MCU, and it opened the door for the DCU to do what they're attempting to do now. <laughs> and uh, other than X-Men and Batman and Superman, it's really... Uh, this is all we've had growing up mm-hmm. is the Spider-Man movies. And uh, I just want to get your thoughts on, uh, first of all, on just Spider-Man in general. Uh, we're going to spend as much time as we can here discussing each of the three movies, what we like and dislike about each of them. And looking back before we talk Spider-Man Homecoming here in a few weeks, because I know we're going to have a lot of time to talk about Spider-Man Homecoming. We might mention the 
previous Spider-Man movies in passing in that episode, but we won't have the time mm-hmm. to dedicate to those uh, that we deserve in that episode. So Brian and I, for our throwback this week, are gonna we're gonna just reflect on 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 Spider-Man. So excited about this. But Brian, what are your just general thoughts on Spider-Man? I know you loved X-Men growing up. I know you love Batman. Yeah. And I know you haven't cared much for Superman, to be honest. <laughs> right. um, but but Spider-Man, where do you fall on that? Spider-Man is probably, is, is definitely top three, four uh, superheroes for me and was probably higher growing up. And moreover, I think the important thing to me is that he was one of maybe four, and that might be generous, uh, maybe four superheroes who were relevant to me as a non-comic book reader prior to the X-Men animated series coming out, which I think was 93, 92, 93. So for the first nine or 10 years of my life, I didn't read comics really. Uh, maybe, you know, a couple of times, a, you know, a gr- an uncle or something, somebody gave me a comic and maybe I'd, I'd read that, but, but I, I wasn't really into it. I had some comic book action figures, like Justice mm-hmm. League stuff. Um, but even those, I was like, I I don't know how I acquired them or why we really had them because I it, I was gonna if I was gonna play with action figures I was playing with Star Wars figures and so, um, but for me it was it there there was Batman who I loved and is still my my favorite superhero and then there was Superman who I I even at a young age I was like this guy's kind of lame I don't really get it but and and then there was Spider Man and Spider Man there's been so many iterations of Spider Man kind of depending on your age I think. Um, really dictates who you consider Spider-Man to be or what kind, what style Spider-Man was and Peter Parker too, like who they were as, uh, as heroes and as civilians. Um, But I, I dug Spider-Man. He was always, it was cool that he was a kid. That was, that was part of it. Um, And he, he just seemed like, you know, we kind of grew up with the, with the very uh, arrogant, uh, sort of brash Spider-Man, and I I like that that version of him quite a bit. And it was fun as a kid too to just be like, man, this guy's like kind of like me, but he's got superpowers, and it seemed cool the way he got the powers and everything. Uh, so Spider-Man's always been one of my favorites, and and remains uh, to this day. I'm I'm very excited to have I've, I'm excited to have him back in the fold at Marvel because I just feel like you know because we get paid to say that Marvel's good obviously we're Marvel shills and so uh that that makes me happy that he's <laughs> I wish we did be, because we'd be rich <laughs> we'd totally take that money if they want to yeah. give it to us uh, we're already saying that these other movies suck so you know if you want to pay us that'd be even better but no like it's um I'm excited to have him in the fold because I think they'll they'll do it right but I liked these movies a lot uh the first two I'm excited I'm excited I'm maybe more excited to talk about the third one than I am one and two in some ways but um, I think I was 19 when the first one came out and I was, I don't rem- I honestly don't remember how excited I was for it pre, uh, debut. That would have probably been my like freshman year of college. So I can't imagine. I-, I didn't watch any movies during that time. I was much more interested in every other thing that was happening in the world. But when I saw it, I was like, man, that was really good. And I was really hyped for the second film and that paid off quite well. So yeah, look, I Batman's always going to be my favorite, um, and then it's it's an open conversation between uh, Spidey and probably Wolverine and, and Gambit. Gambit's my favorite X Men X Man, despite the fact that 
pretty much all he does is now you see me stuff, but it's fine. I, I don't know why. I don't know why I, I cared so much about Gambit, but I do. And uh, so any of those, you know, kind of pick one out of a hat. That's who my my probably my number two favorite superhero would be, and and definitely was my Spidey was my number two guy um, all all growing up. But what about you? Where do you stand on where do you where does your upbringing bring you on the uh, Spider Man conversation? You know what I grew up on pretty much Superman and Batman. I mean, that was my thing growing up. Uh, Batman more so than Superman. Uh, I was familiar with the Christopher Reeve Superman movies. I watched them, but none of them came out in my lifetime. No good new Superman movies came out until Superman Returns. And by then, I was on to other things. Uh, and I didn't really give it the time, and no one really gave it the time. And so Spider-Man, when it came out, was a big deal. The the Spider-Man movie really changed people's perspective on superhero movies for the time being. Uh, you know what? These movies, just looking back and re- reviewing them before this episode, uh, they're cheesy. They're, they're super, super cheesy, but in all the right ways, I think. Uh, they're cheesy in, a w- in the same ways that the Christopher Reeve Superman movies are cheesy. Like, uh, there's no way Superman can reverse the orbit and spin of the earth, right? Uh, the rotation of the earth. It's, it's super cheesy, but at the time it made sense, right? At the time, uh, the, the radio, you know, getting bitten by a radioactive spider and having the organic spider webs and, and all that happens to Spider-Man, it seems real for some reason. It seems believable in some weird way. When you're in that theater and watching the movie, you, you believe it and you, you, you get lost in that world. And uh, for Sam Raimi, that's not an easy thing to do, is to, uh, is to make Spider-Man a believable story. It seems ridiculous, but it happened. And, man, I just remember loving the first Spider-Man movie when it came out. Yeah. And, uh, and Spider-Man 2, I remember being just blown away by Spider-Man 2. I remember Roger Ebert being blown away by Spider-Man 2, saying it's the pinnacle of superhero action movies and, and things like that, and this will be the movie that sets the standard for superhero movies to come. And I think it, they were up until Batman Begins and The Dark Knight came out a few years later, and that kind of changed the game for everything, and it's still kind of the standard uh, to this day for those types of movies. But, uh, I mean, as a whole, looking back, I look back with fond memories of the Spider-Man, the first th- Spider-Man movies. You know, I like certain things about the first movie, Spider-Man. I like certain things about Spider-Man 2, and I like a, a few things about Spider-Man 3, but they all have their downfalls. They all have their errors. They all have things that I'm sure Sam Raimi, if he could, uh, he would go back and change. Uh, but he can't do that, so we're kind of left with what we have. And, uh, you know... I think Sony wishes they could have a do-over with The Amazing Spider-Man. I think yeah, they, they sure. wish that they hadn't rehashed the origin story in The, in the Amazing Spider-Man. They, they probably thought, well, if we're going to have you know, nine more Spider-Man movies or whatever they were planning on doing, we have to do the origin. And uh, they were wrong because you know, the first one has to work for the second one to work, and the second one has to work for the third one to work, and so on. And when the first one didn't didn't really work that well, uh, they didn't really give they didn't the audience didn't give the other ones a chance. I mean, they were kind of dead in the water, so to speak. And uh, you know, I I was really excited for the Amazing Spider-Man when they came out because, you know, in my 
early 20s when the amazing spider-man came out i was i was already soured on the original three thinking man i I really want a more gritty i want a more serious spider-man you know i'm I'm past the cheesy bright colors and and everything and i was wrong uh i (laughs) i was i was dead wrong there's something super charming about the first three movies yeah and uh and maybe these are the those are the Spider-Man movies that we should have had all along that we never really realized. Uh, I still think Spider-Man Two is probably the pinnacle of Spider-Man movies, uh, and I'm, I'm saying that and it's weird to say because it's such a weird movie with weird villains and weird happenings. But there's something that works about it. You know, it, it all came right. together in just the right way, and you know, Spider-Man 3 was going to be hard to top Spider-Man 2. You know, Sam Raimi probably would have been better off just leaving at Spider-Man 2 and making the audience kind of beg for more from him forever with those things. But um, the only thing that really soured me, and this is where we can kind of start with Spider-Man 1, was I really wasn't a Tobey Maguire fan growing up. And uh, and I, and I, I was never really down with that casting move. To make uh, Peter Parker Spider-Man, uh, I mean, to make Tobey Maguire Peter Parker Spider-Man, uh, there was something kind of weird and off-putting about Tobey Maguire to me in those yeah, times. Yeah, I don't like Tobey Maguire, period. And <laughs> I don't like Tobey Maguire really either, but, you know, looking back at his career and everything, like, I like him as Spider-Man. Like, that's going to be the thing that I was like, yeah, he was a really good Spider-Man, because he was that kind of perfect, awkward nerd in the first movie. And um, what is the what is the Peter Parker that we want, right? What is the perfect Peter Parker? Yeah, no, I think you're. I like him as Peter Parker. I almost said Peter Pan. I I like him as Peter Parker. Okay, I I think he's a better Peter Parker than Andrew Garfield was, hands down. I I don't for me it's not close, and that you know maybe that's debatable. Yeah. I don't know, but for me not close. I think he's not a good Spider-Man. Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man is a better Spider-Man than Tobey Maguire's is, and that's that's, that's not really that's saying a good point. all that much because yeah. I think I think Andrew Garfield's not particularly Andrew Garfield is not who I would have chosen as my Spider-Man either. I the rewatch this time around, and I I watched the first two of these movies. I don't know relatively frequently because because my kid likes to watch them, and so mm-hmm. um so I've seen them both. I don't know, several times over the last year. And so, and, and every time I'm, I'm watching, I, I think, man, I, I actually, cause I'm, I'm with you, Kent. Like I, I wasn't a fan of that casting at the time. And in hindsight, I think it's been made worse by the last 15 years. Uh, but regardless, every time I rewatch, I think I, he's doing a pretty solid job as Peter Parker. He's giving me, he's giving me kind of the nerdy elements that I want. He's not brash like some of the some of the Spider-Man that we had in like the animated series that was popular when we were kids and stuff. But it's it's not um, it's not so he's not so nerdy that he's not that he's unsavable, if that makes sense. Like you can see how it could build to something more. But then the first movie, it's like, okay, I'll give it to you. This is the first one. This is the character trying to find his way and all that sort of stuff. By the time we get into the second movie and certainly in the third movie, I just, I don't think he works all that well as, as Spider-Man and his, his like witty banter and stuff just falls flat because I don't know, for me, Tobey Maguire is a flat actor. Like he just is, he's, Uh he doesn't have dimension to what he 
can do. And that maybe that's a maybe that's an unpopular opinion. I don't really know, but I don't I don't know. I also don't care because I just he he always bums me out in pretty much every movie that he's in. Yeah. Maybe had Elijah Wood not been completely booked with Lord of the Rings, like maybe mm-hmm. Elijah sure. Wood would have been a really good Peter Parker sure. Spider Man. So in those here's, days. I, yeah, so I was t- I spent a little time today like going through some of the old research and IMDb and stuff like that, and because I'm always interested in movies like who when we talk about Spider Man, yeah, yeah, yeah. When we talk about a movie that's 15, 20 years old, like what who who is up for it and how would that have turned out? I'm gonna I'm gonna give you one, two, three, four, five, six names. Okay, six names. Okay. Let me tell you tell yep. me if you feel like any of these would have been better or worse. Uh, I'm gonna start, I'm gonna start low. I'm gonna go Scott Speedman. Do you remember that guy who was not in, at all. Uh, He's in those, uh, what are the, the, uh, the vampire lichen movies, underworld movies. He's the, okay. He's the yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was on Felicity. He had a weird, he's had a weird career. Uh, Wes Bentley from, of hunger games fan, mm-hmm. uh, fan and a couple other things. Uh, Josh Hartnett, who we talked about last week with, uh, Black Hawk down. So yeah. instead of Spider-Man, he did Black Hawk down that year. James Franco was up for it. That was, right. that's interesting that they moved him over from there. Freddie Prince Jr was up for it because Freddie Prince Jr. was in every movie in 2002 and Leonardo DiCaprio. That right. was, uh, that was the guy that, that I think was the most like, like who they really wanted to play Spider-Man if he had any interest in doing that kind of a movie. Yeah. Uh, I think they made the right choice. I bet it was probably down to James Franco and Tobey Maguire. And they thought who's more nerdy, who's more lovable, who's more innocent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's probably Tommy McGuire, who's who who is the more believable outcast in high school, and that's probably Tobey Maguire, right? Uh, oh, totally. And they yeah. probably really like James Franco's range, and so they thought he he would his his ability to go dark would really benefit him as Harry, and mm-hmm. uh, maybe his transformation sure. into avenging his father's death would be something that they would really want to explore in the future films and in Spider Man Three which they attempted to do. But um, you know what? Out of those people, I probably would have picked Tobey Maguire too. I can't, I can't mm-hmm. deny that. You know what? There has to be a believability to the fact that he is an outcast. I, I, that's why I don't like Andrew Garfield as yeah, Peter Parker here. because he's super charming and handsome. And right. like, why would, why would be, he bullies be picking on him in high right. school? You know, it yeah. just didn't, it doesn't make sense. But as, as Spider-Man, as the uh, with the mask on and as the cocky, arrogant Spider Man, I think Andrew Garfield works that like that. I still love the scene where he's like, "Oh, a knife! I'm so scared," you know, in uh, the Amazing Spider Man. I think that's the Spider Man yeah. that I wanted, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and that's what we got for maybe two scenes in, in those two movies, right? And uh, I think that's what we're really gonna get with Tom Holland. I, I, right now, I think Tom Holland is the the best Spider Man from what from what we've seen in yeah. in Civil yeah. War Just from the trailers and in the, in, War, in the yeah. trailer. I think they freaking nailed it with with him uh, as far as the personality sake and uh, and all that. So uh, you know, high hopes for what Tom Holland can bring to the table here. But plot wise, with Spider Man, the first Spider Man movie, um, you really have to set the stage. You have to tell the story of Aunt May and Uncle Ben. You got to do that. Uh, I think they they do that very well here. And I, I like the uh, him, dis- you know, getting bit by the spider, discovering his powers, you know, doing becoming a wrestler and, uh, you know, 
crafting the character of Spider-Man. You know, I like the the cheesy stuff of him drawing the costumes and creating all that and doing all that. I think that's cheesy, but you know, something like you would see in the comic books. I think it's a good adaptation of real life adaptation of of Spider-Man. Um, but as far as the villains go in the first one, I can't really get past the costume for Green Goblin. You know, I, if you see some of the concept art, and I'm sure you did in your research for Green Goblin, I mean, the, the rejected designs is is really frustrating for what that character could have been on screen. You wouldn't have had to make it look like a Walmart, like, Halloween costume, you know, uh, they had some makeup stuff with, with Willem Dafoe, who is, has a creepy face to begin with. I mean, they really could have done something with practical effects and makeup and the transformation of Green Goblin would have been way more believable and way more creepy and way more villainous than it ended up being. But like, I I just remember even at the time in 2002, when, when it came out and, uh, we saw the Green Goblin for the first time, I was like, that that's it that's not scary that's i was kind of laughing because it's kind of smiling too it's like a kind of a clown smile on the uh on the cost and i understand yeah. we're gonna get emails like if you've seen the if you've read the comics that's actually very accurate to how green goblin appeared in spider-man number 41 you know and things like that i understand that but it just didn't work in a live action setting for me and uh the, the costume itself like his actual armor and all that stuff didn't really work for me at all. I actually, what I like about the Green Goblin is the like surfboard thing he rides. I think that's really cool how how Oscorp is building that for, you know, military purposes and things like that. I think that's a really cool aspect of this. I like the little grenade bombs that he uses. I think those are neat, but I can't get past the actual costume of Green Goblin. And I know that's dumb because I'm criticizing a, a, a 2002 comic book movie. <laughs> for its costumes because uh nothing really worked back then for superhero movies and yeah and that's just kind of the best we could get at that point but spot for for me spider-man worked so well i love the costume i love the animation i love the yeah. the actual yeah. adaptation of spider-man as a character and then you juxtapose that with the cheesiest lamest costume you ever see it just didn't work yeah i'm with you i think the spider-man suit is incredible yeah and it it carries through for all three movies i i love i love the look of that suit i think it's really good green goblin is green goblin is a very good villain and one that stacks i mean that's the problem with the marvel movies right now for the entire run is that they just can't create good villains green goblin's a really good villain but when you add that costuming with willem dafoe's just willem dafoe-ness everywhere is just it gets it gets old fast. I think it worked well for 2002, but by like 2004, you know, I'm rewatching this movie and just being like, "Gosh, he's just so Willem Dafoe. Can you take it down My like gosh. one notch, dude? Like, yeah, he's just all over the place." And you add that to the costumes, and it does. And then you honestly, you add in, and we'll talk more about Sam Raimi as we go here. But when you add in Sam Raimi's um, camp horror sensibilities you add all those three things together and i think it kind of limits what green goblin could be or how how high he can reach as far as a foe for spider-man goes because it's just like there's just a lot happening here that is kind of working against um what should be a really good villain and instead just kind of gets hamstrung by some of these factors to me yeah 
I mean, there's some really clever stuff in Spider-Man 1. Uh, for example, when he enters the actual wrestling tournament and he feels like he gets ripped off by the promoter, right? He actually wins the tournament but doesn't get the money that he was promised, right? Because he's trying to win money to impress Mary Jane, to buy a car or whatever it is. He goes to get the money and the promoter gets robbed, right? And uh, Peter actually lets the thief get away to seek revenge on the promoter who screwed him over, right? But that then leads to the thief escaping and killing Uncle Ben, right? So had Peter Parker not let the thief get away because of his own selfish intention, he probably would have saved the life of Uncle Ben, and that would have never happened, right? So there's all this emotion coming, all these circumstances that Peter Parker has brought on himself that he has to battle with. His internal struggle in Spider-Man 1 really works, I think. And, uh, you know, that's the stuff that that, uh, Sam Raimi really got right with this, is the actual him struggling to be a superhero while at the same time being a, a good citizen and a good, I guess, nephew to Uncle Ben and Aunt May. And sure. he has to really struggle with the fact that he's pretty much the reason that Uncle Ben died. You know, uh, that's really tough to deal with, but it, it really, really works here, um, in my opinion. But what really stuck out to me and what really works is freaking J. Jonah Jameson, J.K. Simmons is so good in, in these movies that when they were going to bring him back in the new Spider-Man movies, they actually were going to recast J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson because they couldn't think... I think uh, Lawrence Fishburne played him in... Uh, no, I'm thinking of Man of Steel yeah. whenever uh, we're talking about um, the Daily Planet. But when they were going to recast him in uh, in Spider-Man, th- that's all they could think of. Like The only yeah. person they could think of was, was J.K. Simmons because he's so... That character, and he did it so perfectly... That uh, man, he brings just the right amount of of humor uh, to that role, and I think that really, really holds up even now. Uh, the J. Jonah Jameson aspect of it, and Spider Man, the photographer, and Peter Parker, you know, loves photography, but he uses that to get money, but also to kind of hint that he's Spider Man, but not really because he never really wants to tell because he knows he'll die eventually. Right. Um, but. The Mary Jane stuff, um, it's weird. Yeah, isn't it? It's it's really weird. Like, you know, here's what here's what it was for me this time. She's Dunst is good. I think she's good in the role. I think she understands what she's doing. She's given some stuff to work with, um, which is certainly not always the case with a superhero movie. And and her her parts get better. Uh, it, it's kind of peaks and valleys through the course of these three movies because she is always the damsel in distress, which is kind of a beating. But between those moments, she is given stuff to do which is cool. She doesn't have any chemistry with, uh, with Tobey Maguire and she doesn't have any chemistry with James Franco either. And so I think that gets better in the second film, at least with, with Tobey Maguire. But the, the first one feels like a real struggle to make you believe that these two, like if you didn't know that you're watching, if, if you said, Hey, look at these two random humans. Do you think that they, are uh that they're in love or that there's kind of a you know that there's a, a Rachel and Ross sort of thing happening here is there any kind of connection between them and you'd be like 
no, they kind of look like they know each other from school. That's it. Like it just it doesn't ever flow the way that you that you need it to. And I I don't think that's her fault, especially given how I feel about uh, Toby McGuire and James Franco, if we're being honest. But the it's it's really there's a vast different. There, I don't know. There's there's a lot of space between the two of them that just doesn't it doesn't connect the way that I think that it's intended to connect. Yeah. I think a really cool moment also is when uh, Green Goblin fights with Spider-Man, uh, you know, offers him, you know, join my side. You know, everyone's going to hate you. You, you know, vi- you're a vigilante. You know, they're not going to see that you're doing this for good. They're going to only think of you as a as a criminal, you know. Yeah. And uh, he he wounds him in the fight. And then Peter's over at dinner, I think Thanksgiving with uh with them uh with norman with the with the family with harry and uh and green goblin and uh he realizes he's spider-man i really like that moment too that yeah. uh when when willem dafoe realizes that he is uh in fact spider-man and he's like can't believe yeah. it um and i also um really kind of like the fact that harry is also in love with mary jane you know, and they have that kind of battle of his mm-hmm. best friend falling for his girl and then fighting over her as a, that a kind of not a B plot, but just something else. Another piece of dramatic um, yeah. material to add to the story other than his own personal struggles as uh, as Spider-Man. But him discovering his powers, I think, works really well. But some of the CG in Spider-Man 1 really does not hold up at all. Okay. You know, him yeah. jumping when he first discovers his powers and he's jumping from building to building. I mean, the the physics of that just looks so ridiculous. It reminds me yeah. of Woody, like, running down the street in Toy Story, like, flailing <laughs> around. You know what I mean? <laughs> How the physics of his sure. body, it's, yeah. it's in Toy Story, it's done for humor because it's like a rag doll literally right. running around but yeah, he doesn't have bones. Yeah. So, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but I think yeah. that's a I think it's really funny when he discovers his like that he's super jacked all of a sudden for no reason and all that and it's yeah. like oh, you know Aunt May like walks in his room and it's like oh what are you doing in there? He's like nothing and all that. I think that <laughs> that works really well too. Sure. And uh, there's some, there's a lot to like about Spider-Man the movie. Yeah. I think it really yeah, sets it, the stage and it and it sets the tone really well and mm-hmm. and i mean some of the stuff of him flying around when he's actually swinging on the webs through in between the buildings and all that i think at the time everyone was blown away by that but still to this day it it works for the most part and uh yeah it's actually yeah. impressive that they did all that stuff in 2002 Right. Looking I actually back. think the CGI looks really good. It's the stunts where sometimes which is not typically the experience, right? Like typically we say uh, you know, the practical effects look great. The stunts uh, and, and all that stuff was awesome. The CGI is where it kind of went off the rails. And that's definitely the case later in this franchise. But for this film, which had a lower budget than the other two, and they had to kind of prove it, um, I think they did it very well. But the the some of the stunt work, especially like, I don't know, like some of the sets and stuff, the, the final battle between uh, the Green Goblin and Spider-Man looks really really limited scale wise and looks and because of that it looks really cheesy and stuff but i i'm I'm with you i think the cg still especially for the time but even 15 years later i think it looks pretty solid for the most part yeah there's some opportunity here for a really cool scene uh with green goblin 
uh, when it's really lame when the, like the mask is sitting on the chair and he's having the conversation yeah. with himself of we can destroy him. You know, the kind of two sided schizophrenic right. conversation that really could have been awesome. Yeah. But I don't know if it's the writing or the way Willem Dafoe plays it, but it just, yeah, it comes go. off really <laughs> cheesy. And yeah. I mean, in a more serious setting, maybe it really could have worked well. But um, I don't know. I, There's something I about it. Just every time I see it, just like, ugh, you know. Yeah, on, what on a missed paper, opportunity. That scene, exactly. Yeah, that on paper that scene looks great. When you're writing that script or when you're putting that into production, you're like, man, this scene's gonna be really cool. And then then Willem Dafoe just just gets all Dafoey on you, and you just like, <laughs> gets yeah, all Dafoey. Just <laughs> like, dude. I, I I don't I I don't know. Willem Dafoe is an interesting guy. I don't dislike him. He's not like when his name comes across the title card. I'm just like, ugh. Okay, now I'm out. But so many movies, I'm just like, man, can you calm down a little bit? Just I just can't handle. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's his face. Uh, I, I don't know what it is. But he always he always kind of bugs me a little bit. You would and, think, and yeah, prime. You would think. A Spider-Man movie would give him an excuse to be ridiculously over the top and that it would work. Yeah. But even yeah. even then, it seems ridiculously over the top, even totally. in this world, <laughs> which yeah. if that's even possible. <laughs> We're talking about a flying Spider-Man and somehow Willem Dafoe seems out of place <laughs> and over the top. Like, dude, can you chill here? We're trying to watch yeah, the flying spider, okay? Right. When he's like, the itsy bitsy yeah. spider. Oh, God, <laughs> right. Just no. Yeah. Something that... Hey, what's up, ma'am, fam? Kent here. And yes, if you're hearing from me, you know it's time to talk about Blue Apron. If you haven't tried out Blue Apron by now, what the heck are you even doing? Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. They deliver fresh meals straight to your door. All the food is fresh. It's sourced from local farms. And there's no wasted ingredients. I've been a Blue Apron subscriber for a long time now. And they have still, to this day, never let me down. There's tons of variety. Some featured upcoming meals include summer vegetable and egg paninis, soy glazed pork and rice cakes, skillet vegetable chili with cheddar drop biscuits, holy crap, and garlic butter shrimp and corn with green bean salad. So take it from me. Try out Blue Apron now. Go to blueapron.com slash mad. That's blueapron.com slash mad. Get three meals on us for free. Nothing goes better with a movie than dinner. So check out Blue Apron. BlueApron.com slash mad. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Hey, ma'am, fam, question for you. Do you own a small business or are you a boss? Are you looking to hire awesome people but you just can't find somebody to fill that role? Well, let me tell you about ZipRecruiter.com. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites all with one click. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. Right now, you can post your jobs for free on ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. That's ZipRecruiter. Dot com slash mad. One more time, try it for free. Go to ziprecruiter.com slash mad. Thanks to ZipRecruiter for supporting this episode of the Mad About Movies podcast. Also stuck out with me this last time and is the real patriotic nature of Spider-Man. 
Mm-hmm. We got to remember this is like right the first big yeah, movie to fun. come out after 9/11 and the first trailer of the movie which you can still see on YouTube was awesome. It was mm-hmm. uh, a a helicopter getting caught in a spider web that was webbed between the twin towers. Gosh. And yeah. it's a really cool trailer and I'm pretty sure that 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 was in the movie and that they like that was going to be the reveal of Spider-Man but they had to cut it out, you know. Yeah, um, definitely. For obvious they reasons. Had yeah, that that stuff, and there was a few other things that they kind of um, they kind of amped up the patriotism because this movie came out like seven months after nine eleven, and so they tried to you, cynically you could say they tried to play upon that, but probably more realistic, they tried to make it a something that you could kind of rally the city could rally behind, like the the unity of uh, New York City and whatnot. So like stuff where. You mess uh, with him, you yeah. mess with all of us. <laughs> yeah. We're from New that York. Kind of stuff. We're yeah. New Yorkers, and like yeah. Throwing stuff at the Green Goblin and whatnot. That's that was added uh, after the fact to try to to try to work in conjunction with our new world. And they have the moment <laughs> where Spider Man like lands on the flagpole of the American flag waving and stuff like that. I'm pretty sure that that wasn't in, originally in there either. But it is funny. I mean not funny, but I mean, the fact that they had to remove the scene with the World Trade Center, because in this movie, Spider-Man just is Spider-Man all of a sudden. There's no like reveal or big moment mm-hmm. where he becomes sure. it. It's just like he, he one day he's bitten by the spider. He looks at himself. He's all strong. And then he's Spider-Man. You know, there's there's no real big moment where he becomes the Spider-Man. And I'm sure. pretty sure that was it, but it was too late. There was no turning back there. So that's just something I've noticed uh, every time I watch it. But okay, the last scene in the movie, the last big scene is the the parade fight thing. And speaking of like bad stunts, bad CGI, this doesn't hold up at all. And it feels like, feels like the the last, feels like the last scene of Jingle All the Way, honestly. (laughs) You're just waiting for Turbo Man to fly in. Like, I'll save you. (laughs) You know, it's turbo time. (laughs) Uh, they're jumping around on the really balloons. This movie is missing like, Sinbad. I feel like this it is a lot better if it had some. Well, Sinbad Well, every movie is missing Sinbad. If we're <laughs> being completely honest, the Revenant would have been a lot better with Sinbad. Let's just be real. He actually played the bear, dude. Oh, really? That, yeah. Uncredited. On some weight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's been training at Daniel Day Lewis's feet, so yeah, it's good. Um, really absorbed the role. Yeah. Uh. Well. I mean, that just doesn't work for me at all. And it's like, wow, it all led up to a fight at the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. You know, this is it. You know, they're bouncing off SpongeBob balloons. And like, <laughs> I mean, it just, it really felt cheesy. Even, I agree. Even then, it, then it did. And even more so now. And, uh, you know, again, if Sam Raimi could have done it again, maybe there would have been a better reveal of a third act than that. Uh, surely they could have thought of something. A little bit better than that, but uh, glad you agree there. Uh, and at the end, we get the funeral of Norman Osborn, and uh, Harry, his son, swears vengeance to Spider-Man, still not knowing that Peter Parker is Spider-Man, and uh, promising Peter that he will avenge the death. And so Peter's like, oh, crap. Oh, crap. You know? <laughs> like, eventually, he's going to find <laughs> this out, This right? is awkward, yeah. Um. And so at the end, Mary Jane Parker 
uh, Mary Jane, not Parker yet, Mary Jane, uh, confesses her love to Peter. And in one of the maybe biggest plot twists in a movie that I can remember, he just shuts her down, you know? And everyone's just like, oh, you know? Because yeah. you expect that, that so hug cold. and kiss at the end, and he's just like, sorry, you know, with with great power comes great responsibility, quoting his, his uncle's, uh, some of his uncle's final words to him, and um, hiding his true feelings that he would, he really wants to be with Mary Jane, but knowing that he is Spider-Man and that if she knows he's Spider-Man, that they'll seek out Mary Jane to kill him, you know, and he's trying to save her in order, uh, even though he knows he'll be happy. And I just remember the ending being awesome, you know, yeah. and, and, and you want more and you want to see where it goes. You want to see if Harry can avenge the father's death. You want to see if he can find out the identity of Spider-Man. You want to know if Mary Jane will find out all, everything and what will happen there, if they ever will get back together. So I think the ending works, um, but there's just some cheesy random moments in there, you know, sure. there's a really kind of cliche scene too, where the green goblin is like, you must choose between aunt may or this, you know, a uh, train <laughs> right. car full of people. The choice is yours. And then he drops them at the same time. And of course, Spider-Man saves both of them. Right. Right. Um, yeah. That's, that's such an easy, you know, they reuse that kind of, uh, trope a lot of times, even in the dark Knight, the Joker mm -hmm. uses that exact same thing. Yeah, that's what uh, makes with, the Dark Knight so great yeah. is that he can't rescue. He both. can't rescue both Harvey Dent and uh, Rachel. You know, he can't rescue both boats at the same time, right? Right. Uh, and that's really effective if if used correctly. That kind of trope that that uh, sure. uh, choose one, uh, only one will uh, survive, kind of thing. So I think that works too. So any other thoughts on the first Spider Man after the the last rewatch for you? No, the only thing I would say is really more about these first two movies together and, and the third one tries. It tries. I think these I think these movies get their connection to the comics better than any of the other uh superhero series that we've had before or since. I think you get um kind of one offs like the Dark Knights were were pretty well connected. The original Tim Burton Batman was well connected. The Marvel movies I think that's one of the complaints people have about Marvel movies that the comic readers is there's stuff that happens in the movies that happened in the comics, but there's it's own they at especially at this point they exist in their own universe. They're not they're really not comic book movies so much anymore as they are I don't know superhero movies. If you understand the kind of the difference between that, these movies really feel like they are um, kind of really really truly taking comics from the page and putting them onto the screen and i think that's part of what makes us what made us really like them at the time and and kind of what makes us um go back to them with fondness and some of that cheese factor that plays into it it kind of works because of that connection and i i don't know i i appreciate um that there's plenty of stuff that i don't love about sam raimi's vision especially as this franchise goes, but I, I appreciate that aspect of the movies in the first place of just like, we're making comic book movies. We're not making um, just necessarily giant blockbuster superhero movies. If those two things come together, great. But the first thing to do is we're making a comic book movie. Also, I really like the, the music work from Danny Elfman in these movies too. Yeah. And it really, yeah. really comes together. Uh, Danny Elfman is a very hit or miss. Uh, composer, he mm -hmm. he recently missed in the circle. I think it was we talked about. Oh, I was gosh. just like, what is happening? Like, what? 
you know, oh, wow. It almost ruined the movie. Actually, a lot of things ruined the movie, <laughs> but that did not yeah, definitely. Otherwise, didn't. it was an A, but that score just took it down. <laughs> well, it definitely did not help, Brian, at all. Yeah, it definitely sure. didn't. Um, There's not one thing helping in that. <laughs> not even Tom Hanks could save that not one. Not even Tom Hanks. Not even American man. Treasure Tom Hanks. Um, okay, Spider-Man 2. Uh, where do we begin? So now Peter Parker is is Spider-Man full-time. He's struggling with his normal life. He's struggling with Mar- his love for Mary Jane, uh, his friendship with Harry. Uh, his Aunt May is, is going to get evicted, right? Uh, he, he has a lot of personal battles. But now we have Dr. Otto Octavius, who is mm. trying to, uh, I guess, for the first time, create renewable, unlimited, sustainable energy, which just I've been working on that for years. It's yeah. very difficult. It is. It turns out. In your basement. It's, uh, mm-hmm. you're, you're close, though. So donate. I'm there, man. I'm right, I'm right on the cusp. Yeah, send your yeah. PayPals to Brian Gill. <laughs> and one day, it might work. Uh, man, I really like Alfred Molina in this role. Yep, he's great. So random, mm-hmm. but he really, really works. He's great, and the character's great. Again, yeah. they got they got a villain right, um, which you know I've been able to do in Marvel yet. Yeah, pretty much. He's he's really menacing when mm-hmm. he's just walking around the city with the arms uh, attached to him, and the arms are using it as his leg. He's not walking on his legs; he's using the tentacles as his legs and arms. Yeah. You know, he's just kind of floating there. I really like yeah, that. Yeah, it, it's a really good physical performance from a guy that I don't think is thought of as a physical actor. I mean, I like Alfred Molina a lot, but he's not a... I mean, first of all, he's not as in the public eye as you, you, know, you might expect from a big villain in a huge movie like this. Um, I mean, he's the second lead pretty much, but he he has the right... I don't know, there's something about his... It's something about the way he he moves his body in conjunction with the arms or the tentacles or whatever that just makes it makes him very menacing and creepy. And that's, again, that's partly because he has four snake arms coming off of him, but it's partly because of what he is doing as an actor. I was, I'm, I haven't paid attention to that in a long time because I haven't watched these movies, you know, with a, an eye for the podcast or, or a review or anything in a long time. But man, it was, it was very affecting this last time around, like really focusing in on what he was doing physically. Where do you fall on the fact that the arms have artificial intelligence? You know, it's weird. Um, and I, I don't know. I kind of had never considered it being weird up until this point. I don't know why that is. I just accepted. Oh, okay. That's a normal thing. It's not. And, and I don't, I don't really, it seems like a strange choice, but I think it, I think it works. I think they do it. Uh, I think Ramey and all the people that helped write this in conjunction with Molina's acting, I think it really works out. It gets really weird when he's talking to them though. That's my least favorite <laughs> aspect when, of when they're, these, yeah, yeah. yeah. When they're the like telling him arms. what to do and everything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's kind of weird. But at this, but he also, but I guess they, they play it just, they only use that enough. They, they use it. I'm trying to say, they don't overuse it. And so yeah. even when he's doing it, you're like, okay, this is getting kind of weird. And then they kind of pull out of it and move on to something else. It took four people per arm to operate those things, but yeah, way. like keep them up and it's like kind of puppeteering mm-hmm. them, which is interesting. I think it's really cool how they, there is an actual reason for the arms. It's so that he yes. can handle the hazardous nuclear material 
right. of the thing. It's not just like, oh, I invented these arms. Aren't they cool? You know, like there sure. was an actual practical purpose for them. Sure. And they were like, well, won't those, uh, if they have artificial intelligence, won't they take take over? And he's like, no, I've got this chip, you know, that will. <laughs> Nothing's it, ever gone it, wrong it, with a chip. It's bound to my nervous system so so that the <laughs> I can gain, have complete control over the arms, right? Right. Um, right, right. So right. something, of course, goes terribly wrong with the experiment. Uh, the sustainable energy is way too powerful, um, but the greed of Otto Octavius, uh, when they tell him to kill it, you know, when he's trying to, sh- they tell him to shut down the reactor, he is so greedy in wanting this experiment to work that he kills everybody. He kills his wife. He kills um, basically himself. The the chip. Uh, causes him, you know, goes to critical mass and, and shatters the inhibitor chip and uh, is no longer melded to his nervous system at that point. Here comes Spider-Man to save the day, uh, shuts down the experiment, and uh, now Otto Octavius is on the loose. So Octavius is then at the hospital and in a really cool scene. And this is where the inhibitor chip actually makes sense because... With the without the inhibitor chip, the artificially intelligent arms like save him. You know, they like save. They they break Otto Octavius out of the hospital. Right? They're like, mm-hmm. screw this, we're getting out of here. Like it's something that Otto probably wouldn't have done on his own. Like had he had right, control right. or had he been under the influence of anesthesia or whatever, that wouldn't have happened. Um, but the fact that they have a mind of their own. They break out, and that's a really cool scene with him laying on the hospital table and the arms going everywhere and destroying everybody. It's a really cool moment and uh, something that really holds up, too. So uh, I really like uh, <laughs> I really like all that stuff. I love the carnage. I love the uh, him escaping and, and taking refuge at the harbor and, and building his own base and everything in, in order to mm-hmm. build the, the reactor that he's you know dedicated his life to. Um, I really like also that uh, Peter Parker and uh, Mary Jane are like eating, I guess, eating at a restaurant or whatever. And this is where we get the spider sense, right? With yeah. the car coming yeah. through the window and everything. I really like that that scene where the car comes through and it slows down to slow motion and he dives to save Mary Jane. Uh, that works as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Really, really, really well. So Yeah, they do a good job in these movies of of uh, effectively showing off the spider sense without really even having to mention it. I've always, I've always appreciated that. I think that's a cool aspect. That's a cool feature of his powers and to be able to do that the right way um, without overusing it and without just being like, Oh, my spider sense is tingling is, which is kind of stupid sounding. Um, especially when you say it, like I said it, I think my that spider sense is tingling. My spider sense is tingling. <laughs> uh, never use the word tingling. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen. That's just a really, honestly, that's just a bad word and we shouldn't use it ever again. But, uh, but no, I, I think they did it. I think Ramey nailed that aspect of it. I love that sequence when, when they're at the diner, I think that's really cool. And it kind of breaks, not breaks the fourth wall. It, the, the, um, revolving set is super cool too. I think that's, that's a really impressive, uh, set piece. And I really like how they bring this all back to Harry Osborne, how they get Harry Osborne involved in the story, how Otto Octavius needs, you know, uh, I guess it's, 
tritium or whatever mineral it is yeah. that he needs to power unobtainium on unobtainium to uh, <laughs> copyright james cameron uh to fuel his <laughs> reactor send him a buck now dang it yeah. and so he he goes to harry at oscorp uh who is now in charge of oscorp i guess and says you know i need this in order to fuel this reactor and you know the result could be completely sustainable energy for everybody and and Harry kind of twists it as a murder for hire. Like, I'll give you this if you kill Spider-Man. So, you know, he promised vengeance on Spider-Man. Well, this is the way. Just hire Doc Ock to uh, kill Spider-Man, and everybody's happy. He gets his mineral. Spider-Man's dead. And uh, Octavius then seeks to kill Spider-Man and uh, captures Mary Jane. Mm-hmm. He holds Mary Jane hostage. And, um, that's some, it's something that, uh, you know, Mary Jane is really confusing to me, but the fact that she even goes, like wants to be involved in all this is pretty surprising, right? She, she, she just, if I was her, I would just gotten in a car and driven to like New Mexico, you know, <laughs> she's like the center of everything. And she's, I guess that much in love with Peter that she's just willing to put up all this, you know, how do you explain that? Right. Yeah. It's, it's, I'll say this. I am so tired and every superhero movie and TV show and probably like stage performance and everything has always done this bit where the superhero says, I can't be with the person that I want to be with. I can't have family. I can't have a girlfriend or a wife or a husband or or kids or whatever, because it will put them in danger. This is one of the, I very much appreciate that in this film, they were just like, screw it. We're just going to put them together because I'm tired of having this conversation. I very much appreciate that. I think it's a weird, it's certainly a bad life choice for her, uh, but I don't really care about that. I want to stop having that conversation on screen in every superhero movie of all time. I want to, I want to go away from it, you know? And, uh, you know, there's kind of a moment in this movie where, Peter Parker has given up Spider-Man, right? Like J. Jonah Jameson has the costume and he's like, you know, finally we've gotten rid of this vigilante Spider-Man. And it's not until Mary Jane is captured that Spider-Man kind of comes out of retirement, steals back the costume, goes back to Doc Ock. And then we get my favorite scene in all these movies, which is the train car scene with the, uh, the subway train out of control and the fight with Doc yeah. Ock on the train. I think that is so awesome, great. and it really, really mm-hmm. holds up to this day. Such a sure. such a cool moment for yeah. 10 different moments in that sequence are brilliantly executed on every, yeah. every level. So good. Definitely. There's nothing in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and nothing in the DC Cinematic Universe that measures up to that scene. It's not, it's not even close. I, I would say the same for X-Men. The only, the only films that come, that can put a i don't know can make a claim as having a better straight action sequence or a fight sequence to me winter soldier has some pretty good stuff but to me that's more it's like kind of the one-on-one fight the elevator scene and stuff is really cool but the scale on this the dark knight uh taking joker to prison sequence maybe is the only thing that tops that yeah. as far as superhero movies go I, I love that sequence and every time i watch it can't i think I'm going to find this less impressive this time because it's been a year since I've seen it and I've watched 4,000 superhero movies since then. And, um, and you know, it is, I, 
I know in my head, I know that it's cheesy, um, the whole bit of like, we won't tell anybody who you are and here's your mask and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But it works for it me really works, every man. single time. Yeah. It works for me every single time. And that comes right on the heels of this incredible action sequence and a great fight scene and all that. I, I love that scene. Gosh. And I think it takes the whole movie up a full grade. Like it's, this movie is very good. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, this movie is so good. And that's why. Um, it's why at the time this was probably the best superhero. I mean, if you're talking best superhero movies ever in 2004, it's this X two and your first Batman, maybe like that's, that's who's in contention. And I take this all day long, I think. Yeah, man. I love it when he goes to the front of the train and, you know, spins the web and, uh, you know, puts his feet down in the track and is like stopping the train as he's holding on and he's like fainting as he's doing it. I just think that's so great. And yeah. I love it when they like pull him back into the train and he's like, they're like crowd surfing him through the mm-hmm. train and everything. And I, man, such a cool moment. It, 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 it gets, is. It, it gets really, me every time. It, it gives it, me like, goosebumps every time. And I feel like every yeah. time I'm like, no, it won't do it. It shouldn't. I know what they're trying. I know this is kind of emotionally coin, uh, toying with me, but I, I, I'm with it every time when the guy is like, He's just a kid. He's no younger. He's no older than my son, you know. And then they bring out the mask and all. This. I'm I'm in. I'm so in on that every time. Yeah, I I think so too. Uh, gosh, it where uh, I'm just thinking about it. I, I really yeah, I want to watch it right now. I love it so much. <laughs> it's just they should just done that scene twelve times in a row and and I <laughs> called it a called it a day. It would have worked sure. for me. Um. So, Otto Octavius then. Uh, delivers Spider-Man to Harry. Now Harry, now so he gets his mineral right. Now Harry is trying to gonna kill Spider-Man, but then realizes it's Peter Parker. You know, and is completely shocked that it's Peter Parker and can't kill him because he would then be killing his best friend. And right. he's in and now he has this huge conflict of emotion. Like my father was a monster. I'm realizing he was a monster, but my friend. <laughs> kind of killed my father, but is he a monster? You know, there's this like James Franco plays that really well too. just the con- inner conflict that he has yeah. when he finally realizes uh, when everything comes to light for Harry, uh, that is, that is kind of the climax of the movie, right? Emotionally when, sure. uh, when that reveal happens. Um, so Peter Parker convinces, uh, Harry to can to like lead him. We have to stop Doc Ock. We have to stop Doc Ock. That's hard to say uh, because he's going to destroy the city. Uh, if 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 we don't stop him, we're all going to die. You know. Um, then then um, they fight kind of in the. Uh, I guess it's the dock, like yeah, actual like dock, not yeah, not doctor, not Doc Ock pier. I should right. say, yeah. Yeah, so many ox and docks and everything in this movie. Uh, hard to hard to say again. Um, where do you fall with this in comparison to the uh, balloon sequence in Spider Man One? As far as a climactic, <laughs> like final third act action scene, um, I think I love the setting of the actual dock itself. I think yeah, it's yeah, really yeah. cool and dark and and creepy and mysterious, and Agreed. I think it works well with the octopus, you know, the water and all that. Um, mm-hmm. I think that it was a smart choice for a setting for a final act of a superhero movie. I mean, yeah. uh, 
we don't have a lot to compare it to, but then again, um, at the time we didn't at now, I mean, maybe now looking back, it's, it's less impressive because of the context that we have, but for now, um, it, uh, it still holds up too. And it doesn't, it doesn't, after such an amazing scene with the train sequence, it doesn't, it doesn't seem, uh, like a step back, you know, it seems to go just as well with the other stuff. Yeah, and I think I think Raimi was smart to not try to match it uh, from a a spectacle st- scale or like a battle scale. It's it's just it's more of an emotional moment um, with you know him trying to rescue Mary Jane and then her, uh, Doc Ock uh, realizing what he's done and and kind of coming back around it. So yes, I think you're right because you can't match that train sequence at all. So you kind of have to find a different way to close it out or else everyone's going to leave feeling like, man, that was kind of a bummer compared to where we were 25 minutes ago. So Peter Parker then reveals his identity to Doc Ock. And this is when Doc Ock has the change of heart, you know, it just, it just makes you think like how many problems would have been solved if, if he would have been like, no, it's me, Peter Parker, you know, (laughs) this whole time, uh, keeping his identity a secret, I guess it was that important to him. But uh, Octavius sacrifices himself in a way, or he finally, I guess, convinces his tentacles to obey him. You know, like this is really all like the only it seems like the only reason he was evil is because the tentacles have taken control of his mind and have turned him into a monster. You know, like if it wasn't for that inhibitor chip being destroyed, maybe he wouldn't have become Doc Ock. Like it's not, yeah, yeah. it's not Dr. Octavius. That's evil. It's the tentacles making right. him evil. And right. I think that needs to be kind of clear, more clear, right. you know, that yeah, that's, and they let him go out as the hero in a way, which uh-huh. is, which is important when you're playing that Jekyll and Hyde sort of game with your character. Yes. Yes. Um, Mary Jane, uh, comes back into the fold. Spider-Man returns. And, uh, they kind of all live happily ever after in a way. Um, but then Harry is visited by a vision. Uh, actually, he sees him in a mirror, I think it is. Uh, normal. Yeah. Normal, yeah. The ghost, ghost uh, Defoe. If I saw a ghost Defoe, I'd be pretty freaked out too. <laughs> yeah, I'd never, I'd never go back to that house, that's for sure. So he shatters the mirror. He's like, I'm not going to kill my friend Peter. He's my friend. You're gone now. And uh, shatters the mirror and then unintentionally revealing the Green Goblin's equipment room. And, uh, you know, then that leads to the fact, is he going to become the Green Goblin? Is he going to take over for his father? You never know. And uh, she, um, she, Mary Jane, goes to get married and then abandons her then husband uh, at the altar who that astronaut guy, all that stuff. Yeah. Like, why is that in the movie? Why do we need that? Yeah. I think they intended to use that to set up. That's not true. Cause he didn't, Raimi didn't want to do venom. That guy could have been a big part of the third movie. Uh-huh. And they ended up kind of bailing on that. The plot point. I, I agree. It's a dumb, it, the, the entire plot point does two things. It lets JK Simmons be in the movie more, which I'm on board with, but it all, it, it leaves an opportunity for her to run away at the altar as dashboard confessional blares in the background, you know, I mean, that's all it does. That's, that's it. Yes. That's, that's the goal for all of our lives. To be honest. I mean, every day I just wake up to 
You wake up to it? Oh, yeah, I go to bed absolutely. to it every night crying. Yeah. It's actually... I cel- I celebrate the man's entire concept. Screaming infidelities as I go to sleep and close my eyes every <laughs> oh, single man. night. 2004, Brian was so into that. Oh, my gosh. gosh that album, man. Everyone was into that. It was huge. When I first oh, started uh, playing guitar and stuff, I think I learned that entire album on guitar, yeah. I think. And huge, uh, the man. girls loved it. Oh, my um, gosh. Thank you, Chris Caraba, for <laughs> all the girls that I got because of that album. Um, so Mary Jane finally realizes that Peter is Spider-Man and, uh, you know, kind of encourages him to go be Spider-Man. Go do what you do, hon. Go do your thing. Go do your thing. I won't get tired of you being gone, except I will in the third movie. Yeah. 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 So, man, I think that's the, I think all in all, Spider-Man 2, really strong. Strong or quite strong? I think it's still a top. 10 superhero movie uh, of all time. I think it's, I, I, it, it holds up very well. Very well. Highest budgeted movie of all time at the time, by the way. Cost $200 million, which is the same price as, as uh, Titanic. It got passed a lot, obviously, since then. But Can you believe this time, one? Huge. Can you believe this one made less money than Spider-Man 1? It's so weird. Yeah, I, I didn't realize that. That's, it's super, super weird to me that this, because it's such a better movie than the first one is. And the first one's good, but it, yeah, it made the least out of all three of them. It's very strange to me. Very yeah, strange. Very did weird. you know, I, I, I did not know this. There's some things, you know, when you go back and look, you're like, oh, yeah, I kind of remember that. This, I, I had no clue. They almost replaced Tobey Maguire with Jake Gyllenhaal prior to shooting. Really? Tobey Maguire was ticked about his contract situation and was playing, uh, like, he... He feigned being injured that he couldn't show up for, a, like, a meeting or a stunt meeting or something like that. And they were like, okay, we'll we'll just get Jake Gyllenhaal to do it instead. (laughs) And started having meetings with Gyllenhaal and fired McGuire. And then he quickly was like, no, 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 I'm I'm sorry. I want to come back. And so it could have been a much different, uh, could have been a much different movie. Man, I remember this was maybe the first movie that I got to see like a sneak preview of. Like, uh, I think I was working and, uh, you know, as a re kind of like a reward for our, I think I was lifeguarding or something until so they took all the lifeguards to go see this. And we saw it maybe four days early or something like that. And nice. I was like, man, uh, it was just like seeing a movie that that was this cool ahead of time yeah. was a really cool experience. And that sure. like, I don't know. I just remember that vividly, like seeing this movie early and just being super stoked and telling all my friends like, guys, Spider-Man two, <laughs> so good. Right. We got to go see it. You know, uh, really, really liked it. So, brings us to, Brian, Spider-Man 3. Mm, mm, mm. Thoughts? Hadn't watched it in, uh, what year is it? 2017? I have not watched this movie in at least eight years. And this was the third time that I'd watched it total. I watched it in theaters. This is, uh, and this was like a huge cultural thing at the time. Like, it's so big that if you remember Knocked Up is like half the plot of Knocked Up is them trying to go see Spider-Man 3. It's like mentioned four or five times in the movie. It was huge. It had the the biggest opening of all time at the time. It's been passed several times. Now it's, I think, I look today, I think it's number 15 of all time opening weekend. So think about that. It's been passed. Uh, that many times in the last 10 years, which is crazy. But um, I was so, so pumped for this movie. And then I was so disappointed and so angry and frustrated by the whole thing. I watched it 
for a second time when PS3s came out, they did a big deal. Like one of the packages you could get with a PS3 had a Spider-Man 3 Blu-ray in it because that was part of the big deal with with PS3 was that it had a Blu-ray player. And so there's ton, there's millions of copies of Spider-Man 3 out there um, that are PlayStation 3 branded. I watched it once then when I bought my PS3 and then like immediately sold, sold it on eBay or something. It was just like, this is such a trash movie. So this was my third viewing of all time. It's better than I remembered, but that's not saying just a whole, a whole lot. I, I don't know. It, with time and the lack of, uh, of expectation, I think it makes the first act and a half a little bit better. And it plays, you know, some of the stuff, some of the issues you can kind of overlook. The last act especially is so atrocious. and I. I know there was a lot of weird stuff that went into the production of the movie and Raimi was pretty much just tired and, um, and there was a lot of studio interference and stuff. I totally get that. And that definitely makes some of the issues of the movie make sense. It does not change how awful that third act is. I don't care how much studio interference you, you have to deal with. You have to figure out a way to make uh to make your your big huge budget superhero movie work in the final sequence and final scenes and it oh my gosh it does not it just goes off the rails so quickly and so badly so um so that man that last act still just it feels like a stab in the gut um but I I I guess I would say that I guess in my mind I would have said if you would have asked me uh, two days ago before I'd rewatched this. Uh, is Spider-Man 3 one of the 10 worst superhero movies of all time? I would have said absolutely no question. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And having rewatched it, I would say I could probably come up with 15 or 20 superhero movies that are worse than this one um, yeah. at this point. So I don't know. Maybe time has healed some of the wounds that I had from this. Because I'm telling you, dude, like I, I, don't know, I don't know what you were doing in 2007, but this was like everybody this was very close to star wars like everybody was talking about this movie and we were all so jerk so jazzed about it and we had to buy tickets in advance and all that sort of stuff and that's the first movie i can remember having to buy tickets in advance because like it's going to sell out no one's going to be you're not going to be able to see it if you don't get them now um and then just was like what the crap is happening on my screen yeah this is like the craziest year of my life was 2007 uh i don't think i saw really any movies in 2007. Mm-hmm. I was just right. doing music and doing crazy stuff in 2007. And, uh, I mean, I'll admit the emo stuff, the emo scene was really big in 07, but do we really need to cross it over with Spider-Man guys? Do <laughs> Certainly really not need in to bring way. hot topic. Oh so involved into, uh, into Peter Parker's life. Like, is that really how we need to, uh, justify the venom or his dark turn is that he becomes an emo kid. You know, I mean, gosh, I just remember being so disappointed when, uh, you know, he he turns dark and then that's how they depicted it. You know, it's like he gosh, starts combing his so bangs bad. forward. You know, it's like, so bad. Oh, jeez, <laughs> that's yeah, yeah. That's that's like the undying legacy of this movie is that when they decide when Sam Raimi decided that the uh, symbiote substance from the meteorite was going to turn him bad or evil or whatever what it did was make him grow his bangs out and play piano at a jazz bar that's yeah that's and yell at his landlord like that's mm-hmm. that's the stuff that made him edgy and and evil and wrong you're just like 
Oh my God, is this seriously happening? I can't. No, this cannot be what's what's happening right now. It would have worked so much better dramatically if Peter Parker was the same person, but he was just treating everybody in his life completely different. And then mm-hmm. they would be totally confused. Like, Peter, why are you acting this way? You know, instead of just like looking at him and realizing something was wrong automatically. You know, it almost worked better if he was only emotionally different and not physically different. And uh, I just don't, I don't understand mm-hmm. why that happened. Still, I would ask, I would ask Sam Raimi to his face, dude, <laughs> why the emo haircut? You know, I guess he wanted to appeal to that scene of kids or something. I don't but know, dude. It's awful. It's an awful choice. I don't like the whole extraterrestrial aspect. I mean, that's, you're right. I mean, that's where the astronaut would have come in handy. He could have gone to space discovered the venom on the moon or whatever you know or been in on in the iss and like the venom could have infected him there then he could have brought it back to earth and then been the venom that way instead of a meteorite crashing and like the venom like crawling on the ground and like following him back and all this stuff i mean it just Mm -hmm. it wasn't believe it or not we, we this is a this is a uh this is a franchise who has lines such as are you in or are you out Oh, you're out, Gobby, out of your mind, you know, <laughs> and somehow the uh, the venom crawling on the ground seems like the cheesiest thing in this entire thing. You know, somehow it's cheesier than mm-hmm. fighting with uh, <laughs> fighting balloon animals or whatever we were in the, mm-hmm. in the first movie <laughs> that that was more entertaining and, and, and uh, relevant than the venom in this. I mean, how disappointed. Were you that, you know, you, we waited all this time and this was the venom that we got the, the venom oh, of gosh. The, yeah. the venom of Eddie Brock slash <laughs> slash Topher Grace for 10 minutes, you know, it's, yeah, it's awful. It's such a waste, man. It's such a waste. Raimi didn't want venom in the movie. That was big time studio interference. That was something that, so it's kind of shoehorned in there. And I think you can totally tell that he didn't want that to be happening. But look, dude, <laughs> we all get it. We all understand you're a filmmaker, you're a visionary, you want to do what you want to do, you have a vision for your film, all that sort of stuff. If you're going to take studio money, you got to do what the studio says. One thing that probably would have helped is not casting Topher Grace as a villain. That probably would have been a really good choice, is to cast literally anybody else in that role. That's a, I, I still, I don't mind Topher Grace. Like when Topher Grace pops up very sporadically now, because he's, you know, he doesn't do anything anymore. Um, I'm always like, oh, I kind of like that guy. He can't, he, he's not capable. He's not capable of doing what he was asked to do in this movie. He's so unintimidating, even covered in a black alien costume with like fangs and a giant tongue, all this sort of stuff. Like he's still at the back of your mind. You're like, that's the guy that got rejected by Laura prep on. Like it's, it's not, it doesn't yeah. work. It doesn't work at all. I get what Raimi was going for in the fact that he's just going for bizarro spider-man right he's just Mm -hmm, going for a a nerdy guy who is just the complete opposite of of peter parker he he, this guy's a photographer as well you know it's his it's his photography rival you know Mm -hmm. like come on guys photography rival like that's the villain in this it's like you 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 made you made fake pictures of spider-man you made spider-man look bad when he's actually good you know oh my gosh um what i think works kind of well and i wish they would have focused more on 
was the Sandman. Like I really like the transformation yeah. of the Sandman and that that scene where he becomes the Sandman in the experiment and like you know he's all sand and he's like looking at himself and realizing it's completely no dialogue or anything but realizing he's the Sandman. I think that's really really well executed. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I agree. And I think Thomas Hayden Church was a good choice for that. And um you know, maybe that's the case with all these movies is Except for maybe Doc Ock, like the villains, uh, I mean, especially in Amazing Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man 2, especially 2, maybe one of the villains would have worked had they given him the time to develop the character, you know? This Mm -hmm. this one's just full, you put three villains in this movie, the Sandman, the, uh, the, the Venom, and you have Harry in this movie too, trying to avenge the, the Green Goblin, right? Right. Uh, it's, it's the same thing much, in the man. second one. You've got the Rhino, you've got the Electro, and you've got Harry Osborn in that one too. Uh, just Jeez. make up your mind, pick one, do it well, and that's all we need, you know? Gosh, is Rhino in the second Amazing Spider-Man? I don't Amazing Spider-Man. So you don't remember Giamatti in that? Oh, like going, I totally forgot about that. Gosh, what a freaking train wreck. That movie, I'm, you know what? I think I gave that movie a B minus. I'm going to change it to a D just right now without having re-seen it. I'm going to, I hate that movie. I don't, I really for, completely forgot that Paul Giamatti was in that movie. That's, wow. God, mm-hmm. Some of the action scenes in Making Spider-Man 2 are really well done though. I think I remember yeah, saying yeah, that. Like that's, yeah. Making Spider-Man 2 is the best Spider-Man has done acts like the flying around and him actually fighting the electro and uh, some of the slow-mo Spidey sense stuff that they do, like the Times square sequence is really, really well done from a special effects perspective, but just the story and all the characters are just a complete and utter catastrophe. I remember like every movie I've ever seen and details about it. And like a lot of times where I saw it for the first time and who I saw it with and all that stuff. I just have this, I like a brain that's completely wasted on stupid movie trivia. I could not have told you that Paul Giamatti was in that movie or Dane. I'm looking at the cast now, Dane Dehan or Dahan or Felicity Jones or any of them. I'm like, wait, what? I don't remember that at all. That is, su- that's how forgettable those movies are to me. Yeah. I love how it takes Spider-Man in this movie forever to realize that Sandman's weakness is water, right? <laughs> yeah. Who would have thought? Yeah. Huh, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe give that a try, just because of science and stuff. But, yeah. He's supposed to be a smart kid. <laughs> yeah, you forever. Would... <laughs> like, Maybe if I pour water on him. Right. <laughs> Golly, that's true. That's uh, a, that's and they, they try to bring Gwen Stacy into this a lot. Um doesn't look, really man, work. It, just trying to make anytime, Mary Jane jealous. Yeah, but any, look, anytime you want to bring Bryce Dallas Howard into a movie, just dye her blonde. I'm, right? I'm, I'm on board. Brian's like on board. Her. But yeah, she's one of my faves. Man, I like Emma Stone way better in the in the uh, second movie. I think the female, uh, you know, female love interest works a lot better in the the Andrew oh, Garfield no stuff. Yeah, for sure. Because it's weird. It turns out Andrew Garfield is able to actually talk to women and has chemistry with them. And he was know, actually just... dating Emma Stone <laughs> yeah. for half the time, <laughs> right. too. So right. you believe that. You believe that they could have been a couple. <laughs> right. That really works. Oh, uh, yeah. So I don't I don't have much to say <laughs> about this. Uh, we got to mention the dance scene. That's ridiculous. Awful. It's such It's such a punch in the face. Yeah. It's like as if in the middle of Logan... 
uh, Logan does the can can or something like what is my favorite deleted scene? Honestly, yeah, it's just so out of nowhere. That's I mean, they go from complete darkness to him doing uh, a dance scene and you know uh, being emo kid, and then it cuts to him like on the top of the tower, like in the black spider-man suit like it's just totally different like wait i thought he was just doing yeah a disco you know why is he now on top of the, the tower crying you know what right. so he's so emo yeah he's, he runs the he's, he's very emotional bro like he's just got a lot of emotions he's got to figure out how to how to work that out he's only been out of school for a couple of years even though i think toby mcguire was probably 35 by the time this movie came out but yeah. yeah, it's fun. It's fun. Franco's good in this one. I think it's his yep. best work in this this series. But his character gets old because of the back and forth nature of it all. Like that gets that gets really old really fast. Um, that first sequence, I remember seeing it um, for the first time in the theater, and like being like, okay, this kind of feels weird. And then you're about 20 minutes in the movie when Hobgoblin shows up for the first time, and that is one of the worst looking CGI scenes that has ever been put to screen. I mean, that looks, that looks worse than an action movie that was shot on a $3 million budget. It's so video gamey and so bad. Um, that was, I remember watching it in the, for the first time and just being like, okay, this is not going to be good. This is where we're headed. And it still looks, still looks pretty atrocious, but I liked, I liked Franco for the most part. Um, and that's not always a, a thing. I thought it was interesting, Kent, that, um, the second movie, so Michael Shabon, who wrote uh, The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay and Wonder Boys and a, and a few other very well-received books, and he's done some screenwriting as well, he did a story treatment for Spider-Man 2. And uh-huh. then uh, Raimi took, I believe it goes that Raimi then took his story, they added all their other stuff and went on, they brought it back to him and said, you, you know, basically let him consult. And he said for Spider-Man 2, because at that point they were trying to bring in, I think it was Lizard into that movie and he said look this is this is overstuffed you need to cut out the extras and just make it doc ock versus spider-man and so they did that and that's how they made the best superhero movie of the of the time and then in this movie it is just so freaking overstuffed and you're like why did you listen to him then and then immediately go back on it the the next time around just three years later just like nah it's cool we can add in a third villain it's totally fine no big deal i just yeah if you just eliminate Venom from the movie or honest or Harry or even Sandman, I like the Sandman plot better than any of the rest of them, but um, you got, you can't do three villains like that. You can't do three and also add in emo Spider-Man. I just, it's too much happening on screen. Yeah. So Spider-Man four was going to happen mm-hmm. and it was going to happen with uh, the Kurt Connors, Plotline, the lizard plotline that they ended up using in The Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. And uh, they were going to have Mysterio in there. John Malkovich was going to be the vulture, who now Michael Keaton is going to be in the new one. Anne Hathaway Uh, was going to be the Black Cat, which never happened. And that was all going to happen, but it just never did. Just never did. Yeah, yeah, that seems... The story on that has changed so many times. I don't know what the truth is anymore. Because at the time, it seemed like Sony was kind of had it with them. Raimi has always played 
I think has played very nicely and just said, look, I was tired of doing Spider-Man movies and wanted to do something else. And they didn't, they were on a timeline that just wasn't going to work for me and blah, 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 blah. But, but they announced the reboot. I mean, I think the same day that the news that Raimi, the the news that Raimi wasn't going to do Spider-Man four, that McGuire was out, that we were scrapping this whole thing came out. And then hours later, I think they said, Hey, by the way, we're doing a reboot. It's going to come out in whatever year, 2012. Um, so that's, that's weird. That's a little bit of, of weird timing. I, I, I think I would have liked to have seen him try to make up for Spider-Man three and kind of regain the virtues of Spider-Man two. But I also get critically, this was not super well received. It definitely wasn't well received with fans and it didn't make the money that they thought it was going to make, especially given how, how well it opened. So I, I get wanting to move away from it, but in clear, you know, in classic Sony fashion, should we take some time and figure this out? Nope, we've already got a script. We're moving forward with another reboot. It's just like, oh man, what are we doing here? That's a weird, that was so weird at the time. It still doesn't make sense, but at the time especially, it really didn't make any sense. Yeah. So looking ahead to Spider-Man Homecoming, uh, is Marvel Studios a little too nervous to just do a Spider-Man movie? Is that why they've got Iron Man so heavily involved in this? Like they're they're too scared to just go all in on Spider Man that they have to bridge the gap somehow. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me. I'm very very excited about Spider Man Homecoming. I love the trailers. I like Tom Holland a lot, and I I think Robert Downey Jr. is at his best when he, especially in that role, when he has somebody to kind of play with and kind of work off of. I I I know that I may be in the minority. I love the stuff with the kid in Spider Man. Or no, it's not Spider-Man. Iron Man three. Um, I enjoyed that a lot. I think he can. He's such a pithy, fun actor that if you give him somebody to just kind of bounce stuff off of, it works really well. So I, I'm cool with the premise. I'm in, I'm excited about having Iron Man kind of come in and um, try to mentor him, even though that's certainly not something that that Tony Stark is is going to be great at. I'm. I'm a little worried about how much he's in the movie. Is he going to be in the movie every four scenes or is it going to be, he comes in two or three times and provides support. And if, if that's the case then I'm totally in, that's what I feel like I'm seeing in the trailers that God awful poster that came out this week. That's just like the biggest Drew Struzan knockoff of all time. Some of the worst um, Photoshop ever. It's awful, dude. It's awful. Whoever tweeted us, somebody tweeted us that, um, the poster with, <laughs> with Iron Man and RDJ just imp- superimposed on every single uh, person. I thought that was hilarious because it's so, but anyway, that, that poster is really bad. And that gave me like, some concern as to like, is, is Iron Man going to be in half the movie or, or two thirds of the movie instead of what I originally thought of like three or four big, maybe big scenes, but still three or four scenes. I, I don't know. That makes me a little, that gives me a little pause. I think so too. Man, the suit looks awesome for the new one though. Agree. Sure. I really yeah. like the the like aperture eyes that they have on the new mm-hmm. Spider-Man sure. stuff. It looks just as bright too as the as the original Sam Raimi ones. They didn't go the dark route of the Amazing Spider-Man with the color palette and the low saturation and all that. So Sure. I it's it's the Spider-Man that I that I want to see. The the yeah, actual yeah. the look and feel and everything is what I kind of associate with Spider-Man. It just felt too dark. The Amazing Spider-Man series felt too dark. It, like Agreed. they were trying yeah. to make it Batman Begins, and it, mm-hmm. it just not, 
not not every superhero movie needs to be that. Right. We don't That's need dark material, takes guys. on everything. Yep. You know. I'm excited to see what Michael Keaton can do too in this. Always, always love. It's a weird. Always love me some Keaton. It's yeah. a weird kind of a uh, uh, homage to Birdman, right? It's a very like similar <laughs> character to the Birdman, right. right? In a lot of ways, the Falcon. So sure. interested to see. Yeah. Apparently, he can only play superheroes that are birds. You know, <laughs> it's like, hey, we want you to be the new villain in Spider-Man. Yeah. Is it a bird? Yes. Oh, okay, I'm in. I'm yeah. in. Yeah. I'll do it. Can't wait for him to play the ostrich man. Oh my gosh. That's gonna be so oh, ostriches can't fly. I'm out. <laughs> um, okay. So any other thoughts on these Spider-Man movies, Brian? You know, it was interesting rewatching them this time around the way I did with kind of more of a, a critical eye or a faux critical eye. Um, I think maybe the first one is a little bit worse than I remembered. And the third one is a little bit better than I remembered, but the second one still, hold strong is still um i think one of the premier uh superhero movies of this of this era i think that shows that casting's important shockingly enough uh no it seems to be something that hollywood still is struggling with figuring out but um i don't know i i think this is a much different series if you put somebody else in the lead from toby mcguire um and i i also think too i think it shows I think it shows the limitations of Sam Raimi as a director, which may be sacrilege to some of our reviewers, but or some of our listeners. I don't, you know, I don't like horror movies. I definitely don't like his brand of of cheesy, uh, campy horror stuff. I really don't care for that at all. And I think there's too many times in these movies that it's like stuff kind of gets a little bit difficult. We haven't quite figured out what we're going to do here. And then, so the kind of the default mode is just to fall back on something cheesy and a little bit stupid. And I, I don't like that. I can't, I just don't like that style of, of film or narrative or, or whatever. And then, so I, I feel like there's times that pop up in these movies where you're like, man, it's not that he's a bad director, but I do think he's, he's kind of, uh, he's good in his range. And when he gets out of that range, it, uh, gets a little dicey for yeah. me, and so I would have liked to have seen these maybe in a in a not necessarily a better, but maybe a different, a rangier director's hands. And we didn't get it with the Amazing Spider-Man either, because Mark Webb is a pretty, uh, I think, a limited director as well. So yep. it's interesting. They're very successful. They made so much money. Um, they're some of the better non-Marvel movies out there, but and yet we don't. I mean, I think we're all we're all in agreement. We do not want this sony venom movie that's coming next year and um and we kind of have to have spider-man move over to marvel to feel confident about it being done correctly so it's it's weird it's an it's a they they operate in this strange space of like man the highs are so good but good gracious that the low point is is pretty brutal yeah i agree and uh there's only you can only go up from here right <laughs> right. I mean, right. so to speak. Uh yeah. I think these kind of stand on their own. They're very it's a very uh kind of isolated trilogy. It kind of uh sure. we'll always remember these with fond memories of growing up and all that stuff. But uh I think there are bright days ahead for Spider Man. I'm excited to see Agreed. where the MCU can take sure. it. And um I think Spider Man is a is a strong enough character worldwide for it to carry the MCU if they want it I to. I agree. And sure. so we'll see. Maybe maybe that's what this movie is. Maybe this is uh, Iron Man passing the torch to Spider-Man to be sure. the, uh, the lead of the Avengers. Who knows? We'll see. Um, but I'm going to grade these out. Yeah. I'm going to grade 
Spider-Man as a B plus. Okay. I'm gonna grade Spider-Man two as an A minus and Spider-Man three as a C. It's fair. I think I come before this rewatch, I probably would have said mm, I probably would have said A A plus F F minus 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 minus. Um after the rewatch, I'd probably say I think I agree with you. I think I'd say B plus for Spider Man. I'd still say I think Spider Man Two is still a solid A, verging on an A plus movie. And Spider Man Three, man, that's tough because I don't ever want to watch it again. But I didn't, I didn't want to claw my eyes out like I had the previous two times that I watched the movie. Is that is that a good endorsement for yeah. a movie? I <laughs> would you say C? Um, yeah, I think that's probably fair. I think a C, maybe a C minus, is is a fair grade. Gosh, just what are we doing with the emo stuff? Yeah, just, yeah. Mm, I mean, mm, mm, mm. I mean, it's it's cheesy, but so is Spider Man One. Like that's what I have to keep thinking of. You know? Yeah, yeah. But good gosh, when he flips his hair, I just <laughs> I wanted to die or maybe murder him. And he's just, but regardless, it was not good. It's just really emotional right now, oh, Brian. Geez. So bad. Um. By the way, doing all the research. And I kind of, I've never really liked Tobey Maguire. I think you're in the same boat. He's kind of a miserable person. So, Is he? That's, yeah. He hasn't Pretty done much, much everything lately I, at yeah, all. Yeah, it, I think that's partly because no one wants to work with him. So, it's good. Oh, that's what good. you want. That's, what, that's yeah. exactly what you want. Okay. Well, this has been good. This has been awesome. Yeah. Talked over an hour about Spider-Man. Didn't think that would happen, but uh, <laughs> we'll talk about it more with Richard when we talk Spider-Man Homecoming here in the next so. coming weeks. Thanks to lis- thanks uh, to the listener for listening to this throwback episode. And uh, Brian, where can we find you online? You can find me on the Twitter at bgill 12 You can find my writing at madaboutmoviespodcast.com and the Mad About Movies Podcast newsletter. And of course, on all the social medias, you can find us. Just search Mad About Movies Podcast on Facebook. Search Mad About Movies on Twitter. Look at that. We got that cool Twitter handle now. And Mad About Movies on Instagram, too. Kent, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, all that good stuff at Kent Garrison, kentgarrison.com. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Mad About Movies. Please subscribe. Leave us five stars if you like what you hear. That really helps our show. Uh, thanks to Wondery for making this episode a possibility. We appreciate them for doing all they do. And uh, until next time, until next week, I think we're talking Baywatch. I think we're talking a little bit of pirates, maybe. We'll see. Uh, We will see you then at the cinema. Goodbye. Goodbye. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling. Tossed salads and scrambled eggs. And maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe. But I've got you pegged. (laughs) But I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. Again, scrambled eggs all over my face. They're making me ya ya, your salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again.